Episcopal Church. Uh, This morning we are entering into a new season in the church, uh, as today is the first Sunday of Epiphany. On Thursday of this past week, January 6th, uh, which is the 12 days after Christmas, after the 12 days of Christmas, we entered into this new season. Several of you were uh, with us as we burned Christmas trees and lit up the darkness with uh, the light of, of, of uh, light shining in the darkness. Uh, today is the first Sunday of this season. And for any of you who may not be familiar with uh, the church calendar in general or with the season of Epiphany in particular... The word epiphany simply means a revelation. It describes those aha moments in life where we discover something new or where we find ourselves enlightened or illumined by some new knowledge or by some new experience in our lives. Those are epiphany moments. In the church, epiphany is a season where we celebrate that the light of Christ has been manifest or been made known and revealed in the world. And so if in Advent we look forward to the light of Christ coming, and in Christmas we celebrate that the light of Christ has come among us, then in Epiphany we celebrate the culmination of that light as it is spread and shown forth and made known over all of the earth. And so in Epiphany, we celebrate that the light of Christ has shined into our lives, that Jesus has been made known and revealed to us. And through the different stories in the scriptures, we consider the ways in which that has happened. That's what this season of Epiphany is all about. This morning, we're going to look at one of the most famous Epiphany passages in all of the scriptures. It's the story of the wise men. It's a story that reminds us that the light of Christ has appeared to the nations. And it's a story that challenges us regarding our response to the times when God in Christ has made himself known, has revealed himself to us in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And let's consider together how we respond to the revelation of the Lord. The story of the Magi is a well-known story. A group of wise men from somewhere east of Israel had seen a star in the sky. And they understood it to be a sign in the heavens marking the birth of a newborn king. And so they traveled in search of this new king, bringing gifts in order to pay homage to him and to worship him. As they got into Jerusalem, they inquired as to where the newborn king had been born. But the people in Jerusalem had not been aware of any such birth. And the news of a new king in Israel greatly troubled Herod, who was the reigning king in Israel. The obvious reason that it troubled him was because a new king would ultimately mean a threat to his reign as the current king. And so Herod had the priests and the scribes gather together in order to tell the wise men where, according to the prophecy of Scripture, the Messiah was to be born. The prophets and the priests ultimately pointed the Magi towards Bethlehem. But before the wise men departed, Herod asked them when the star had first appeared in the sky. For he was seeking to determine exactly when the baby had been born. 
And Herod asked the wise men to let him know when they found the child so that he too could go and worship this newborn king. Now that, of course, was a trick. Because Herod had no plans of worshiping this new king. Instead, as we discover in the passages that follow, Herod planned to have the child killed. In fact, he was going to kill all of the baby boys uh, born at that time. He was going to have them all killed in order to eliminate any possible threat to his throne. So the wise men headed on and eventually found the child whom they were seeking. When they found him, they worshipped in his presence. They gave him their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then having been warned in a dream not to tell Herod where the child was, the wise men returned to their own country, going home in a different way than they had come. So that's basically the story. And there are a lot of angles with which we could engage this story. There are a lot of different ways we could talk about this story. But we could talk about how the wise men represent the nations of the world. And how they show that Jesus wasn't just a king for Israel, but that he was a king who was born for all of the people of the earth. That is true. And that's a very Epiphany-esque way to engage this passage. We could also talk about the gifts that the wise men brought and how they revealed something about who Jesus really was. He was not just a king, but also a priest and one who would ultimately suffer and die. For gold is a gift for a king. Incense is a gift to be used by a priest in worship. And and myrrh was used for embalming dead bodies as a sign of Christ's future sacrifice for us. Those are ways that Jesus is made known, that he's revealed to us through this passage. Or we could talk about how this whole story mirrors the, the Old Testament account of the Israelites in Egypt from Exodus chapters 1 through 14. Where Pharaoh tried to kill all of the Jewish boys in order to neutralize their threat to his reign. But how God protected Moses' life and he led his people out of Egypt and out of slavery and into freedom in the promised land. We can talk about how Christ is the fulfillment uh, and, and ultimate reality of that passage. Herod was trying to kill the infinite infant males in Israel in, in, order, in order to protect his reign as king. But God protected Jesus' life in Egypt, and and he eventually came out of Egypt in order to lead all of God's people into freedom from their slavery and sin. So Jesus, in this way, is the greater Moses. And this is a fulfillment passage where we are reminded that all of God's works are ultimately fulfilled and made complete in the person of Jesus. There are all kinds of angles that we could take to engage this passage. But this morning, I want to look at one very simple angle. And I want to make one very simple but crucially important point from this story. And that point is this. That there is no such thing as a neutral response to Jesus. What we see in this passage is that when epiphanies take place, when God reveals himself to us in some way, There are always and only two possible responses that we can have towards him. We are either drawn towards the light or we move away from the light. We either seek the light or we seek to extinguish the light. There are no other options. 
There is no such thing as a neutral response to Jesus. We're a bit like plants in that way. In biology, there's a concept called phototropism. It describes the orientation of a plant and how it bends or grows directionally in response to light. The shoots of a plant, which are exposed to the light above the ground, they will usually bend towards the light that it is exposed to, sometimes following the light throughout the course of a day. The roots of a plant, however, which are hidden from the light below the ground, they usually move away from any source of light. So positive phototropism is growth towards a light source, while negative phototropism is growth away from from a light source. And we're the exact same way. We are always either moving towards the light of Christ or we are moving away from his light in our lives. The parts of our lives that are exposed to the light usually want more of the light. But the parts of our lives that we keep hidden beneath the surface usually try to stay out of the light, away from the exposing light of Christ. And in this story, we see that reality played out in the different responses that the two main characters, the, the wise men and, the King Her- and King Herod, have in response to the appearance of the star. The first difference that we see in the story is in their awareness of the light. The wise men were looking for the light. It's often suggested that the Magi were astronomers or astrologers. And so they would have been inclined to to be searching the stars and discerning meaning in the skies. We have no way of knowing whether that is true or not. But the, the point is that they had their eyes open to what was going on around them. They were paying attention to the times and they were discerning the times. They noticed the light when it appeared in the sky. They were looking for the light. They paid attention to the light when it appeared. King Herod, on the other hand, though the light had appeared right in front of him, literally directly above him, he never even noticed it. He was completely unaware of the revelation of God in the skies announcing the arrival of a newborn king. One had their eyes open for the light, the other was oblivious to the light and ignored the light. Second difference between these characters is in their response to the light. The wise men, in response to the appearance of the star, they moved towards the light. They began a journey following after the light. We don't know exactly how far of a journey they made, but we know that it was a significant one. Many scholars presume that these men traveled either from Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, or from Persia, which is modern-day Iran, or from Arabia. And in any case, this would have been a thousand-mile journey in pursuit of the source of this light. They were intrigued by it, curious about it, willing to explore it, wanting to know more. They were drawn to the light. King Herod, on the other hand, when he did become aware of its presence, he didn't wonder at the light. Instead, he worried because of the light. He wasn't thrilled about the prospect of a newborn king. He was threatened by such news. One was drawn towards the light. The other was threatened by the light. 
The third difference we see between these two characters is in their engagement with the light. The wise men, when they found themselves in the presence of the newborn king, they fell down before him and they worshipped. They gave costly gifts to express their adoration and their devotion and their love for this new king. They acknowledged his reign and his rule over their lives by bowing down before him. Herod didn't engage this light that had come into the world with worship. Instead, he sought to extinguish the light. He tried to turn the light off. Not wanting this newborn king to upset his position or his status or his way of life, he sought to kill the newborn king. One engaged the light as divine. The other engaged the light by seeking to destroy it. One was elated by the light. The other sought to eliminate the light. You see the contrast. Two different characters, two totally different responses to the light. One bent towards the light, the other bent away from the light. One sought the light and let it shine on them. The other sought to extinguish the light and didn't want it shining anywhere around them. One received the light and worshipped. The other rejected the light and worried. And what's important for us to see out of this story is that this is always the case when the light of Christ is revealed in our world. When Jesus is made known in someone's life, there are always and only these two possible responses towards him. You either receive him or you reject him. You run towards him or you run away from him. Those are the only two options. You can't do anything else with the light. You either let it in or you shut it out. There is no such thing as a neutral response to Jesus. Choosing to be indifferent towards Jesus is ultimately just another way of rejecting him. Because he doesn't allow indifference as a possibility. He is either the king of kings, which is a claim to total rule and authority, or he's not. He is either the son of God, come down from heaven, God wrapped in flesh, come to you, or he's not. He is either the light of life, including all of your life, or he's not. There are no other options. The magnitude of the claims about Jesus don't allow for neutral responses. They are either true or they are not. And so the only options that we have when Christ is revealed is that we move towards him in acceptance or we move away from him in rejection. That's it. And so this story and this season of epiphany into which we have have just entered ought to cause us to ask ourselves two very important questions. Are we discerning the light of Christ that has been and is being revealed in our lives? And how are we responding to that revelation? Hear those again. Are you aware of the way that Jesus is revealing himself to you? In which direction are you moving towards him in relation to him? Are you discerning the light of Christ as he is revealed around you? 
like the wise men? Are you paying attention to how God might be making himself known to you in the course of your everyday lives? Do you have your eyes open and watching? Are you expectant and waiting? Is your heart constantly longing for his appearing in your life? Or like Herod, are you oblivious to the way that the Lord may be revealing himself to you in the midst of the circumstances of your life? Is it possible that you are sitting right underneath his light with it shining all around you, but you are unable or unwilling to see it or to perceive it? How are you discerning the light of Christ in your life? How are you responding to his revelation when he makes himself known? Like the wise men, are you following his leading and moving towards his presence? Are you willing to lay down your life, your old life, and leave everything behind in order to find him and to worship him? Do you make it your life's focus and goal to be in the presence of Jesus? Are you willing to lay your treasure at his feet as a sign of your adoration and devotion to him? Or like Herod, are you trying to find ways to ignore And avoid God's revelation in your life. Are there ways in which you seek to quiet his voice. And his influence in your life and in this world. Do his ways challenge and threaten you to the point where you are willing to surrender his ways to your will. Rather than submitting your ways to his will. How are you responding to his revelation? Are you growing towards his light? Or away from it. Part of what's so fascinating and so convicting about this passage to me is is that the characters who should have been prepared for the light, who should have been hoping for the light, should have been watching for the light, who should have rejoiced over the light and received the light with open arms, they are the ones who rejected the light when it appeared. The king of God's own people totally missed it. But the ones who were far from the light, who had no history with the light, who had a long distance to go in order to get to the light, they are the ones who end up discerning the light and who sought the light and who received the light and who worshipped Jesus who is the light. As worshipers in a church, that should cause us to, to pause and to make sure that our familiarity with Jesus never causes us to miss Or to feel like we can misuse his light in our lives. Church, the season of Epiphany reminds us that we have a God who has made himself known to us in the light of Christ. And the story of the wise men reminds us that a response to the light is always necessary. We either grow towards him or we grow away from him when he is revealed to us. So I ask you on this Sunday morning at the start of Epiphany, how are you responding? Over the weeks to come and throughout the rest of this season of Epiphany, we're going to be looking at different stories from Jesus' life where he proves to us that the response of the wise men is the wise one. So may we choose that wise response today. And for all the rest of the days of our lives, for God's glory and for our good.